computers. This is Intelligent Performance. Welcome to Intelligent Performance, where we take a deep dive on what it takes to become excellent when it comes to human endeavor. And today is no exception where we talk to Jamin Heppel. This guy has climbed Mount Kimanjaro eight times. He's run 30 marathons, done three ultra marathons, taken and being the coach to top CEOs around the world. And I would say one of the best coaches on the planet right now. And today we're going to take a deep dive into what it takes to become a great coach, how you can enhance your coaching capabilities and get specific about what are the key skills you need to make sure that you can impact and lead better in your organization. So let's get into it. Jamin, amazing to talk to you. You are not only a leader, which I admire, but an amazing friend of mine, someone who's we've done some amazing adventures together. And to kind of delve into this topic, I actually don't know anyone else who's probably the best place to talk about this, especially when it comes to coaching in extreme environments. So I really want to touch on some of that. So I think um, where I really want to start this conversation about, first of all, what, is, what does excellence mean to you in the area of coaching? Mm. Nice. Well, first of all, thanks for having me here, Michael. I'm really excited to be stepping into this conversation and speak about my number one passion, which is coaching. Uh, so excellence in coaching for me, I mean, really, it builds off the foundation of integrity. It's that of, you know, being impeccable with our word, following through on what we say we're going to do, but not just like, not just as far as like following through on the promises, but also bringing integrity in the way in which we show up and also the energy that we exude. It's like it's about bringing an intentionality and a conscientiousness into every layer of how we show up and how we engage in the spaces that we occupy. Interesting. Okay. So if we look at coaching, like from my perspective, I've seen you start mountains and marathons, doing these epic adventures around the world, but fundamentally at the heart of that, you know, it's facilitate or helping you facilitate travel. It's actually been helping facilitate an incredible journey for different executive leaders around the world, right? Mm -hmm. From some of the biggest name companies from, from what I understand in terms of, uh, so it's like, these are not small time people. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to understand, like, when it comes to coaching, like how, how have you seen your coaching methodology approach whatever you might call it how has that evolved in that period mm, like since the beginning of mountains and marathons yeah well, maybe maybe it wasn't so significantly the beginning of the business but more just your journey as a coach and that mm. the power of that as you've lent into that um how has that changed mm, nice well i think one of the biggest things for me was the jump from working with teenagers and the challenges that teenagers face, which was a lot of my 20s, but then working with high-level executives, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. Because in before I made that jump, there was a lot of intimidation about you know, me having never been in a corporate office before, never having been a high-flying executive before, like a bit of the, who the hell am I? to think that I can make a difference to someone who is so successful and so accomplished and so driven. And so there was a significant jump that happened for me as far as, or not so much a jump, but more so a profound realization that happened for me when I became fully 
100% all in with mountains and marathons about five years ago, which was a recognition that underneath the job title and underneath the intelligence and underneath the bravado is the same challenges that teenagers face. It just looks a lot more, it, it, it just masks itself with more complexity <laughs> the older people get. Yeah. <laughs> and so once I was a, once, once I realized that, that a lot of the conversations that I was having with you know, high-flying executives and entrepreneurs weren't that dissimilar to the conversations that I was having with teenagers because the root of challenges all often stems all the way down to childhood challenges or childhood breakdowns, childhood traumas. Um, The root, regardless of your age, stems down to similar places or similar stages of life. And so when I was able to get to that place and in turn deepen my own capacity to have compassion and listen from a place of, I wonder about the nuanced layers of their life from zero through to now that have shaped who they are as a being. Ultimately, then what is it that's driven them to do what they do? And then to from this place, then determine what is it that's going to give them greater access to their next level of leadership, their next level of being, or their next level of coaching. Um, that has been a really profound journey of, uh, of discovery of both the human condition and then also myself as an, as a, as a leader as an, and as an individual and then also as a professional coach. So I'm interested to understand from a, I've done, I would consider myself like a, a good, I'd say I'm an okay coach, right? And what I mean by that is that I have the ability to help other people through, I reckon, coaching them in some way, right? I'm interested to understand that if you think about a business owner they started the business but they, now, and now because they've got people on board or they're expanding and scaling, they're now having to come into a coaching um, role, as it were. How, what, what do you see, given that you work with a lot of people in that? Maybe I'd love to say, what do you see are probably the, the biggest issues that you come across or biggest mistakes even you could say that people make when it comes to stepping into that kind of first time or early coach process? Yeah, nice. Well, I think there's probably one way to pinpoint an answer to a number of different questions here, which is the number one skill in coaching from my perspective is listening. And it's our capacity to listen deeply, not just to the words that are being said, but what's being spoken underneath, like what's the message that's being spoken underneath the words and then what's, what's being emotionally communicated in the way in which people are communicating and speaking. And so what I often see is people have this misinterpretation of coaching being like, it's my job to take you from like A to B and let me show you the way. Or it's like, I need to show up with with all the answers, with the right advice to then take you from like A to B. And this is where I think there's a really helpful distinction between coaching and consulting. Okay. 
and, and get, don't get me wrong, I think a great coach has great consulting skills, but mm-hmm. the distinction between coaching and consulting is really useful. Consulting is like, hey guys, here's the game plan, follow X, Y, and Z, and this is going to help get you this result. And so that's like really much like pave the way. Coaching is far more inquisitive. It's coming from a deep place of curiosity and really listening to and through what is, what is alive and what is going on for the other person. And my take is if you're able to develop a baseline skill set of powerful coaching skills and marry that with um, industry knowledge, which can then be applied in a consulting capacity, those two are really, really powerful in context of leadership. And so the reason why that's important and specifically speaking about like listening as the primary skill to develop as a coach is because if whoever you're speaking to, a new colleague, um, you know, a a boss, a, a partner, it doesn't matter. If you're able to listen to them from a place where they experience being profoundly and deeply listened to, in other words, being seen, heard and understood, if they have the, that experience of having, from having been listened by you, all of a sudden we get far greater access to what might be in the way of them taking actions that are aligned with you know, what it is that you desire for them to do. And I can even give a good example of a call that I was on earlier today within our business. You know, we're looking at developing a new program inside of Mountains and Marathons, and that's going to be led by one of our leadership coaches, Jordan. And so Jenny, my business partner, and I were sharing the vision for like what we want this program to be and, and enrolling Jordan in leading this particular program, this three-month coaching program. And before we handed her the project, the first thing we did is I said, hey, Jordan, before we go any further, I just want to hand over to you, like, what's alive for you? How are you responding to this this idea? And then she was like, yeah, actually, like, I'm really excited about it, but I'm noticing some resistance here. And I'm like, cool, tell me about that resistance. And then she went on and spoke about her concerns. And from this place, I was then able to meet her from exactly going, ah, I can see where that gap is. And then we're able to work together to determine how we dissolve that resistance. So she then has a full body hell yes in taking on this program. Whereas many people fail to be inside that inquiry to discern where is resistance alive in their employees or their colleagues. And as such, people continue to say yes to stuff that they don't actually want to do. So then they take it on with a resentful tone and potentially poke that resentment towards you as the leader. So this is just one of the many benefits that come from cultivating an ability to listen inquisitively, lean into and create space for people to share about resistance that's alive. So then you can then work out what is the best way to support them to dissolve that resistance. And so then they take actions that are in alignment with what you actually want them to do. It's interesting. So like the, the listening thing's really interesting, right? Because I think it's in, in listening to what you're saying, I'm noticing me going, well, I can listen. I'm listening now, right? <laughs> then I was like, well, maybe I'm hearing you. But I, I feel like there's more, whilst we say we use the word listen, maybe it's actually more like it's to listen and then to really understand what's the other side of that do you is that right because i think that's what i'm hearing is the difference because i know i can sit there and hear my team but whether i really like i think that so that 
So how would you talk about that difference between just hearing and listening, say, and the listening, which you really, that, that, there's a more, more to it, would you say? Yeah, nice. Well, let's just create the distinction. Let's just call it deep listening. Okay. Deep listening probably more accurately captures the heart of what I'm speaking about here. Right. And, and distinguishing deep listening from hearing. Sure, we can do that. Like hearing is what we're doing moment by moment. There's just like constant, there's noise, there's, there's all like sounds of the environment around. Someone looks at us, starts speaking. We can like hear noises coming out of their mouth. We can even like make some sense of that and maybe even take some action from it. But it's just kind of like, it's just the movement of noise in and out of like the brain and the system. Whereas deep listening is to truly be fully present with the other person and in touch with not just, like I said, what they're saying, not just the words, not just the message underneath what they're saying, but also to be in touch with the emotional body of the other person. So this is now bringing in layers of compassion and empathy that come with the skill set of deep listening. Because when we listen from a place where we're in tune with what's emotionally going on for the other person and in touch with what's being spoken beneath the words, well, now we're actually... Um, communicating at a level of at, at a profound level we're communicating at a level where the other person has the capacity to actually feel heard seen and understood and therefore from that place are far more going to be far more receptive to trusting you um, to opening up to you to collaborating with you to liking you all of these layers that support like good healthy workplace relations or relationships in a romantic context or families whatever it is um deep listening really like truly amplifies the capacity for influence. How would you respond if people said they don't have the time to do that in their life, in their role? Because I'm just thinking, and this is where I'd perhaps love to touch on, you know, for those who don't know about the type of business that you run, it's probably one of the coolest companies I've ever come across in terms of the, like, actually what you do. So as I understand, it's like a six month leadership program culminating in some sort of epic adventure at the end, usually or it can be running a marathon or it can be climbing a mountain, thus mountains and marathons. And so from that perspective, I feel like, like what, what about the time sensitivity of it? Like, it's great when you have six months, you can unpack things, but what about the day to day or even when you're in an extreme environment uh, where there isn't the time maybe to kind of like, I don't take that approach. I don't know. How would you kind of navigate that? Yeah, nice. I think there's, there's a multitude of layers here, but I think the best analogy I'd use here is, you know, it's like Abraham Lincoln. He said, if you gave me six hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend four hours sharpening my ax. You know, the question is, is like, if you invest, if you're willing to invest, compassionate deep listening time up front and build the foundation of relationship and support people to be able to move through res the resistance they may hold towards a, a four-week or a six-month project they're about to step into if you're willing to take the time up front to actually dissect and unpack all the layers of concerns and resistance that someone has up front so then you're able to then as their manager help create a pathway for them to freely move forward into whatever it is that you're asking them to do that is going to give them, that's going to be like them stepping onto a freeway versus them stepping onto a gravel road if you don't take that time up front. And so then, you know, you get the drag, you, you, you stick on a dirt road for a long time, you're going to become a bit bitter about how uncomfortable it is. You're going to be constantly faced with all kinds of resistance and you're going to be constantly having to change tires and all of that kind of stuff along the way. Whereas if you're willing to give the time up front 
to really get into the world of someone else and invest that time and that intentionality, uh, it can really make a difference in the bigger picture because people feel, A, much more held, supported and trusted. You've got really clear on what needs to get out of the way for them to drive onto the freeway. And then as a, as a manager, that's your role is to continue to create open freeways for the people who are working for you to continue to do their best, most fluid work. And so, again, it's a good way to look at it. It's kind of like, how can you continually be smoothing the freeway before them so that they can drive faster and better versus having them take off on a dirt road? Very cool. So I'm interested to understand, like, yeah, how have you approached your development in the coaching space said another way like how have you got better at this is it just practice is it taking it from different angles how have you navigated that nice well the way that i relate to it is it's, it's multifaceted but again there's two key components one is runs on the board obviously just the more you do something the better you get at something and you pick sure. up you develop the skills you, do, you observe patterns you notice what works what doesn't work and you see um you know you see patterns across different people that you work with so that's one part um, but the other part then is, from my standpoint, maturing as a coach in turn, like maturing as a human being is about continually stepping into arenas where my nervous system is pushed to its edge. And what I mean by that is, is I'm stepping into spaces where I'm deliberately coming up against the edges of my comfort zone. And if we want to relate to comfort zone, well, I, the reason why I draw the the contrast or the the, the um, synergy between edge of comfort zone and edge of my nervous system is because they kind of are one and the same. It's like when we're when we're outside of our comfort zone, that is a nervous system push. That is that it is an emotional push. When we talk about being outside of our comfort zone, uncomfortable, unless it's in a physical realm like running a marathon, we're talking about emotional discomfort. And so then the question then becomes: Is how can we lean into emotionally uncomfortable circumstances that are controlled where we can then practice being in these uncomfortable places and in turn cultivating our ability to expand and normalize that experience such that we develop our nervous system, our somatic capacity to hold more. You know, and what I mean by hold more, like hold more of life, hold more tension. It's like, then if someone, if you're in a conflict situation where someone is presenting with you something where that they're upset about, you know, your capacity to just simply be with, listen, hear them and not be all activated in your own body where you can stay cool, calm and collected and simply be witness to someone communicating whatever it is that they're trying to get off their chest. I mean, that's a really powerful thing to have been able to cultivate is simply be calm in the present, calm in the chaos. And then from there, and so my take is, is that the more I am continually stepping into environments that are stretching and testing my beliefs and my um, the edge of my nervous system, getting me outside my comfort zone, all of that contributes to expanding my capacity as a coach because I can then hold more and respond powerfully to whatever it is that's coming towards me from whoever it is I might be serving in any given moment. That's cool. So how does one expand that comfort zone there? A bit, or, how, or maybe put more Yeah, of you expanded that? Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. The, nice. Well, the first thing that I'd encourage people to do is to, is to reflect on what are the things, what, what, what are the scenarios that terrify you? Mm -hmm. 
what are the things that give you like that get the heart racing and you're like, well, I'd rather not be there. Right. Whatever that, that could be, it could be a, um, it could be approaching a boss for a raise. Okay. It could be branching out and starting your own business. It could be dancing. It might be singing. It could be tantric sex and bondage. Like, Whatever the thing is where you entertain exploring it, it like as you feel it could be sharing poetry, whatever it is that just brings you to edge just thinking about it. I invite you to write those down because wherever they, whatever those things are that are listed, they're the edges. Wow. Okay, cool. And so you got the list, let's say. What now? Nice. (laughs) <laughs> then <laughs> then it's looking at okay well this is so i look at it as like you know tackling fear or as will smith would say the only the um what we and i know he got the quote from someone else but the only fear to fear is fear itself and so it's like it's like really leaning into okay well there is a place in me that can find calm in the chaos and so the best way to develop the ability to have calm in the chaos and to, in other words, be inside my comfort zone when I'm inside a scenario that currently like activates me and has me scared is to step into those arenas in a safe and controlled environment. Okay. So in the case of, let's say it's, um, you know, if the idea of doing stand-up comedy terrifies you, I'd be like, awesome, awesome. Let's go and find a weekend where they're running like a stand-up comedy coaching course, right? So where everyone in the room is in the same boat, everyone is feeling a little bit freaked out by this and that there's a coach and a guide up the front who's facilitating a process and where the invitation is for you to get up there and get a bit uncomfortable and then potentially perform something at the end of the weekend. I'm like, that right there, that mag- like that takes you from zero to six out of 10 really fast. And then suddenly you've got the capacity to normalize what originally scared, terrified you. You've now got a sense of self inside of it. You've been able to expand the comfort zone. Now, might it still freak you out? Absolutely. But you can get the idea here that if you keep showing up, if you keep showing up, if you, for instance, then started like consistently performing stand-up comedy, you would undoubtedly continue to feel nervous about it but your confidence in knowing that you're not going to die every time you do it. And in turn, your presence when you do it is going to continue to improve and improve and improve. Um, um, Stand up comedy could be singing, playing music. Like I said, if it's like, Mm -hmm. if it's bedroom based stuff, it might be going to a Tantra retreat. I'm pushing up against your edges there around, you know, like confronting layers of, of shame or embarrassment you might have around your body. It's like we, there are certain spaces that are contained and intentionally facilitated that then allow for the normalization of these things. And so in turn, we then get to normalize more of what's available to us in this world and feel more comfortable in more circumstances. Wow. So if I can turn the conversation a little bit more tactical. So I feel like that's very deep on like the, the being of coaching, right? Who, how to hear, how to deeply hear someone. What about like if they've got a call immediately after listening to this, what would they what would be some of the things they could bring 
straight away, which could enhance the coaching capability or ability to to help another, let's say, team member Mm. do something or achieve an outcome of a project or get back on track, something like that. Yeah, nice. Well, I think something very specific to offer, especially inside the skill of deep coaching, would be the skill of recreation which uh, I learned recreation through an incredible organization called Landmark, which I know, Michael, you've also got a quite a bit of experience mm-hmm. with as well. And the skill of recreation is really about repeating back what somebody else has said that also acknowledges their emotional experience. And the simplest way to do this, and this is something that it is a skill developed over time. So this would be probably like a really simple skill um, to practice that I could give to anybody right now, which is when you're in a meaningful conversation with somebody, when they, when they speak to you by simply repeating back, like, so listen, what I'm hearing is dot, dot, dot. In fact, I think you've done it two or three times in this conversation already, Michael, you've literally used that phrase. What I'm hearing is, and uh, when you say what I'm hearing is dot, 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 and you literally repeat back the heart of what you've heard them say, and then they'll go, yep, that's it. And then you go, beautiful. If they've said, yes, that's it. If you've missed the mark, if you haven't fully heard them, that you'll complete. And then they'll finish with, yeah, or they'll finish with no, um, that's not it. And then they'll repeat. They'll, 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 they'll clarify what it is that they want you to understand. And then you go, got it. Okay, so what I'm hearing is, and then you repeat it back. Now, it may seem a little bit mechanical at first because it's obviously going to be trying on a new skill that feels a bit unfamiliar. But over time, as you get good at it, it can literally, just the way you've demonstrated it in this call, Michael, is that it becomes a, an integrated part of your vernacular and your listening skill set such that, you know, someone will say something, okay, cool, what, what I'm hearing is, um, you know, what I'm hearing is you've had, a, you've had a wonderful day and you're looking forward to your date this tonight with your wife. They're like, yep. <laughs> and you're like, awesome. And then you might follow it with another question or in the context of like a workplace, it's like, cool, so we're going to be stepping into this project next week. Um, you know, you've got a presentation on Thursday. What's, um, what's their view about that? How are you feeling about that? And then they'll say what they say. They'll say, I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling a bit disorganized. Cool, got it. Look, what I'm hearing is you're feeling a bit nervous and a bit disorganized. Is that right? Yep, cool. Is there anything I can help with there? Have you got, okay, I know you, you've got everything you need. Great, well, listen, if there's any support that you need, you just come and let me know. Or you'll be like, hey, would you be open to me um, offering a suggestion that might be supportive for you being able to do that presentation um, and feel a little bit more organized? You would be open? Okay, great. And then you offer the thing. So first skill there. So I've actually just introduced two skills. One there, skill set of recreation, like what I'm hearing is, and then verify that you've heard accurately. The second skill that I actually just threaded in there was the skill set of permission which is asking permission to contribute to somebody without just offering advice. And that's probably, you know, foundational inside being a great coach is never, never coming in with advice without first asking if there's permission um, to contribute. So again, like in the, in a workplace context, it's just like someone shares a problem that they're facing and you're like, cool, what I'm hearing is name the problem. And they go, yeah, that's it. And they go, would you be open to my perspective? Would you be open to a, um, a way in which you might be able to resolve that? They're like, yeah, sure. Boom. Now we've got buy-in, we've got a dance versus what often happens. It's like, oh, what I'm hearing is this is your problem. And it's like, cool, if I was you, I'd do this. <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, yeah. if they don't have enough respect for you, they're just going to be like, thanks, and give you yeah. the middle finger behind, you know, when you're not it's, looking. Or it's maybe they're just not ready to, to get there. 
to get there. That's right. Whereas if there's actually like, hey, are you open <laughs> to mm. my perspective? They're, they're, they're empowered to say no. And I've had that plenty of times in like circumstances, you know, and particularly I'll give you an example of like when people will say no, is it's like, hey, would you be open to my, my feedback on this? And then they'll tune in and they're like, Jamie, I'm just, I'm feeling a bit like emotionally overloaded right now. Um, no, now's not, now's not a good time. I'm like, hey, cool, totally get it. When would be a good time? And then you create a time to have a chat about it. Mm. But it's not like without asking for that permission, trespass. Trespass, complete violation, and it'll cause disconnect. It'll cause resentment. It'll cause it. It can have people occur as arrogant, like know-it-alls, versus you know, great coaching comes with humility, and there's no like attachment that they have to hear what you've got to say. But there's always requesting permission to contribute and ensuring that there's alignment for you to um, to speak into the way in which you want to contribute. So powerfully said. I think um, it reminds me literally of a phone call a friend of mine called me. And he just had a really, um, his boss wasn't going to give him a raise and he was really pissed off. Mm. And, um, and I was, I, I think I actually started <laughs> on the, well, let me, you know. <laughs> and then I was like, shut up. And I said, you know, hey, mate, would you, something along the lines of like, you know, would you open from my perspective? He said, no. And I was like, mm. you know, I really wanted to share. And I was like, okay, man, well, just call me if you want to chat further about it. And I was, and he, you know, I sent me a text after. Thanks, man. Was, you know, like, thanks for giving me the space just to vent. And I think that's, I think mm. that's also, I don't know if it's a coaching capacity, just from what you've said. You also need to be able to distinguish when is the, when someone is trying to vent versus when someone's trying to figure out or looking for help. Mm. And I think that can be really hard. I find that particularly hard with my wife, you know, um, and that, you know, that vents because that can change really quickly you know mm. and i think we're we're developing different styles of communication around like you know try and label it a bit clearer so i don't mm. have to try and guess um mm. but that's and that yeah especially when you've got two kids venting is like a key part of what's required you're not always looking for feedback after you right. just dealt with a screaming baby you know so it's um yeah so really i think that's bang on there and, and so last thing i just want to draw two key questions um what's the difference between being a coach and a ceo and i've got one more to finish on being a coach and a ceo or being a yeah. coach of a ceo coach and ceo like how do you juggle those two things so when you're running a business how do you navigate mm -hmm. that where some of it might need to be instructional mm -hmm. you're not looking for feedback you're just like we've got to we're going to go left mm -hmm. versus that bringing them on a different thing. How, how do you navigate that? How do you think about that? Nice. No, so I think they're distinct. They're distinctly different skill sets, um, which can which can interplay beautifully. But they are distinctly different skill sets because, in the context of CEO, like really, my and my relationship with CEO is about being clear on the bigger picture vision, and then consulting the right people to then discern the strategy to fulfill on the bigger picture vision and then ensure that the right people are sitting on the right seats of the bus and have exactly what they need to ensure that we're all working together to move towards the vision. And so the primary piece there is like granted the vision's in place, granted the right people are sitting on the right seats of the bus and they have what they need to succeed. Once that is in place, then I be CEO with a coaching hat on, ensuring that all the people on the bus continually have what they need to have a clear runway to be doing what they're doing resistance-free. 
And so sometimes that will look like telling people what to do. But I know that it's kind of like, that's kind of like, I've ensured that they're easily, safely, cleanly on the freeway. And then it's just like, hey, you need to put more fuel in the car. Ah, thanks, boss. You know, it's just like, I'm just going to tell you what to do, but it's going to be met because we're both moving in the same direction. It's not like I'm putting a speed bump in the way of their movement, right? Versus like, if I was to sit down with you, Michael, in a coaching context, like it's different in the sense that I am here purely as a space to allow whatever is present for you, whatever's going on over there, like for life, a space where life can show up and a space where clearing is possible. And so, yes, I might step into those kinds of conversations with my colleagues when it's appropriate. Like when resistance is there, yeah, I will always create the space because if resistance is there, that is, that, that, that's hold back from momentum. So I always want to take time with my employees if resistance is present. And then, you know, similarly, it's like, it's, it, it, again, it's distinct. Like now it's a service where I am sitting here purely in servitude as a space where, where a clearing can show up for you over there to help remove your resistance to then move forwards in the direction you really want to go. Super cool answer. I love that. And then finally, how do you maintain your edge or achieve an edge when it comes to being... Like you're not just a good coach from my regard. You're like one of the best I've ever come across. Mm. And, you know, and it's in the leagues of, I'd say, Tony Robbins in terms of that space, right? Tony Robbins probably being the most publicly visible coach to so many people. Mm. How do you, what's that next level for people? There's mm. good, then there's great, and then there's world-class. What, how, how would you say, what's the difference between that if, in, in the coaching world yeah man do beautiful first of all thank you that's a that's a quite a it's a beautiful acknowledgement thank you um uh integrity impeccability excellence it's just like it's really i mean it's about having a really clear vision on what you're standing for in the world not how much money you're going to make not how big my company is going to be not how much i'm going to grow it's about like how much can i contribute and serve to serve people and to do that without foregoing, like, like doing the, doing the easy deals for cash, or it's like it's you know it's the things where it's like saying no to a high paying client because they're not they're not showing up in alignment with the values of the company, right? It's like it's actually being able to get you know, and this is it's an integrity and impeccability conversation. It's like I'm clear on what we're standing for, and if you're if it's if things are in alignment with that go get it if it's not in alignment with that it's a no and so i think in the coaching space particularly because so much of it really is it's it's like as a coach you are the service like you are the product it's like ensuring that you are a clear and clean vessel like living impeccably cleaning up any like when there's work to be done as far as any unresolved insecurities or um childhood wounds or um you know, stuff unresolved between mum and dad. It's just like looking at all the layers in which resistance is alive inside of like myself as a coach or other coaches. It's looking at where is resistance present and then going and being intentional about doing the work to resolve that, to come back to a place of impeccability, of integrity, to then continue to be an example. Like again, being a walking, talking embodiment of the transmission of the transformation that you're looking to see on the planet. Like, that's what it is to be a world-class coach, like to be an embodiment of what it is, of the vision that we hold for the planet. Um, and honestly, I think that's, I think that's leadership as well. Um, 
but that's kind of my that's my take on what what separates the the good from the great amazing I really love that. And look, Jamie, thank you so much for your thoughts, your input, your yeah, giving us behind the scenes look at what it takes to rock. And I know um, we'll put some links uh, in the description here about two mountains and marathons and, and do the work you do. And I think, um, yeah, if you want to, you want a chance to have a coach who rocks, I've, you've been my coach and you've been amazing. You've been a great friend and um, yeah, thank you so much. I, I really loved chatting with you. It's been awesome. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, Mike.